fans of Bolt from the Blue, my sincerest apologies for the lateness of this podcast, our review of Manchester City against Wolves. Just to explain, I recorded a wonderful Wolves review midweek with Walter Smith and Ray from Man City Fan TV, only to realise later, owing to a technical glitch, only 12 seconds had been recorded. We thought about just leaving it and giving this game a miss, but a true hero stepped up and offered to help us out. This was the amazing and incredibly busy Andy Turner from Man City Fan TV. I managed to catch Andy in between editing videos at an obscene time of the morning in the UK, who agreed to come on with us and do this pod literally between editing videos for Man City Fan TV. What a champion! The hardest working pair of guys, him and Ray, in the business of documenting the life and times of Manchester City. We can't promise we can replace the incredible Walter Smith, but we will do our best. Big apologies to Walter and Ray for the technical hiccup. We'll make it up to them. But for now, here we go with myself, Boat from the Blue, and my city-loving brother, Man City Fan TV's Andy Turner. Welcome everyone to the Boat from the Blue podcast and in our virtual Skype studio today we have none other than Man City Fan TV, Andy. Andy, how are you mate? I'm, I'm actually full of a cold, Mike, and I've got a bit of a sore throat, but uh, yeah. I'm, it's an absolute pleasure uh, for you <laughs> to invite me back on your channel again. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, I've been busy away and doing other things and obviously with the channel taking up a lot of the time, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be back on your podcast. Fantastic. And what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to ask you to take your mind back to Monday and Man City 3, Wolves 0. It's, it's been a long time, it seems, since that game, but uh, various yeah. techni- technical difficulties have resulted in this late podcast. But hey, you know, uh, Andy, nobody ever remembers a late podcast they only ever remember a bad one <laughs> <laughs> that's very true or a video okay right so as we all know guys before this game way back earlier in the season you remember it was 1-1 between City and Wolves they posed us some problems big Adama Traore skinning Benjamin Mendy down that wing and of course they got the Bowley offside goal we were rescued by a header from Laporte but clean sheets are here again eh uh, Andy what do you yeah. think Absolutely. Um, it's something we needed. Uh, I think since, obviously, we were at the games over Christmas and, uh, you know, the uh, defeat to Palace. And, and then we looked at it and sort of like thought, well, what's happening with this defence? But to be fair, Pep was uh, 
he was chopping and changing and he was resting players and we had Walker out of form, etc, etc. And uh, I think it was a difficult time. You know, all teams go through these periods and I think we've had ours and uh, it would have been nice. You know, we were looking forward to it as City fans for us to get back to a clean sheet. And uh, yeah, Wolves uh, was just one of... Uh, one of many uh, that happened uh, over the last week or so. So yeah, it was great, great for you know morale to to get a clean sheet because it does mean a lot, regardless of who you're playing. That's right, and uh, of course they were the first team to take points off us, but they didn't take any points this time. In fact, by the end of the game, we were only one short of 100 goals in all competitions for the season, a good 20 points clear of any other team in Europe, and uh, we missed out on equaling the record that we set for ourselves in 2013-2014 for being the fastest team to that landmark in the Premier League era. Um, and and that, that was very important, wasn't it, uh, Andy? Because Liverpool had got their usual uh, jammy 1-0 penalty win over Brighton, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a month now since City last top the table and Liverpool now have uh, spent the longest time at the summit of any team They're, they've overtaken us now I think on the after the game it was 75 days at the top to City's uh, 74 but my goodness uh, uh, Andy 271 passes they managed to our 870 uh, no no shots on target I believe and they only managed this is something I just uh, discovered le- recently only five touches in the City box well it was uh, Mike I must admit I'm very impressed with your stats um, <laughs> we were at the we were at the game and uh, I must admit it wasn't a great game and I think we said that on our uh, on our videos, it was uh, it was one of those that you go into. I was confident that was when I interviewed a, a, a Wolves fan outside the main entrance prior to the game, and he was an Irish guy, and he, he actually turned around and said, uh, "Oh, definitely Wolves two, City one." You know, blah 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 blah. And I just went, "Really?" And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, 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 definitely, very confident." And I always thought all along that uh, you know we were going to win the game. By how many? I said three or four nil, uh, and it was three nil in the end. But the game, yeah, the game was uh, it wasn't a great game um, as a spectacle for a fan. Uh, it was a it was a pretty poor game, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at the lineup. Just before the game started, I'll just uh, uh, remind everybody about that. So, of course, uh, Ederson in goal, Walker, Stones, Laporte, Danilo, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, David Silva, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, and Leroy Sane. Just a couple of quick questions about that lineup. Were you surprised a little bit by Danilo being in there as the as the left back? No, because I'd, I'd actually um, I'd actually said that on uh, previous videos uh, in the games previous to the Wolves game of. I thought that um, Pep may have played Danilo at left back, and uh, people were sort of, you know, and ahhing about it. But it seemed the most sensible option because obviously we've uh, Zinchenko has had his faults, uh, Dels had his injuries, and uh, Laporte, even though he played brilliantly against Liverpool, that was one thing. But he, he's not a natural left back, and the sensible option was to put Danilo back on the left, but. I honestly think Pep was waiting to sort of almost, I don't know, give Walker a bit of an extra bollocking and leave him on the bench until a period where he felt that, uh, right, you've had your bollocking now, you need to get your head back in the game and uh, if you want to come back into the team, maybe tonight's the the night for you to be the right-back, which left, obviously, Danilo, who played really, really well at at right-back, moving over to the left-hand side. So... Um, I wasn't surprised to see him here, here in that position. I was surprised it took so long, but uh, I can understand why, because Pep's clearly come out previously 
uh, or poster games and basically said that Walker um, had, uh, let's, let's just say he's had, a, he's had a quiet word in his ear and basically said you need to book up your ideas, kid, and uh, this competition which is absolutely what City fans want. Andy, what do you think of Prestwich Blue's particular theory about why we're so desperate for a left-back as soon as, obviously not going to come in January, probably in the summer, and he says that the reason why these guys struggle at left-back is because if you're a centre-back substituting like Laporte has done in left-back, the difference is that in centre-back you've got passing lanes open to you on either side of you, but when you switch to left-back, you're up against the touchline and so your passing options are limited and that's why he says that centre-backs don't really do a good job at left-back and of course this is doubled when you're asking midfielders to do the job they're up against the touchline as well it's not going to work you need a dedicated left-back that's what Colin Savage says what do you think? Um, I think it's a good argument um, and I think it's a good point uh, you could counter it and turn around and say well Fabian Delph was excellent last year uh, moving from a sort of an inside left midfielder to a left back playing on the touchline like um, like he did do last season. Uh, however, in theory, uh, I, I agree with him. I think uh, I think it's different when if you're let's say you're Laporte, we take Laporte as an example. Um, he's got uh, not not only has he got stones inside of him or or company to his right, etc., uh, but he's got a left back naturally uh, out wide. Uh, but the fact is. If you're next to 10 yards, 20 yards away from your centre-back who is constantly talking to you, if you're playing out wide on a touchline, constantly spreading, uh, you are literally isolating yourself out on the line. Uh, and that conversation, that you know, shouting and their and, uh, communication becomes more distant and more distant uh, than it does. So mm-hmm. it, it takes it takes an exceptional player to be able to move from a centre-back position and uh, make a left-back or a right-back, even a right-back position. Uh, we've seen John Stones. We've seen John Stones move out to the right-hand side. Uh, we've seen Fernandinho do it. Um, do it well, but, but not as a natural sort of like um, right-back, left-back. And I think what Pep requires from his full-backs or wing-backs, or however you want to call it, is completely different to um, and to what he wants from his centre-backs. And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think it's a good point. And uh, even though he did a brilliant job against Salah, I think that was to do with the way Pep set up the team against Liverpool and uh, was cutting out uh, balls that were coming through to Salah before it happened, um, rather than that, giving Salah that time to isolate Laporte on the left-hand side. So, yeah, I think you have to be a naturally gifted uh, full-back to play in that posi- uh, position. But then again, like I said, there is the exception where, you know, Dalf last season uh, was brilliant uh, in replacement for Mendy. So, you know, all credit to Fabian Delph. Mm-hmm. And the other issue, I guess, coming out of the lineup was that, uh, ov- obviously, we you know Kevin De Bruyne apparently stormed off down the touchline in uh, the first game against uh, Burton when he was substituted. And, of course, in response to that, everyone was expecting that uh, De Bruyne were going to start here. And, in fact, he didn't come on until the 62nd minute. What an impact he made, actually. We'll talk about that later. But um, did it surprise you that De Bruyne didn't start? And did you think that Pep was uh, sending a message to De Bruyne saying, we're not going to have any of this ten- temper tantrums from anybody, not even you, mate? Um, yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was surprised that... Uh, De Bruyne did start. I think we all, I think I called it uh, De Bruyne in the team when I did the uh, 
the pre-match uh, videos for the channel uh, outside the Etihad. Um, and then when we uh, we got the team announcement, he was on the bench game. I, th- I was speaking to some City fans as we were walking along. We just filmed a load of fans and uh, put that out on the channel. And I was chatting to some as we were walking past the main entrance and uh, said to one City fan, what are your thoughts on uh, Kevin De Bruyne? Uh, and he said to me, pretty bluntly, I, can't, I won't repeat the words that he said. Um, he turned around and said, uh, well, if he's going to storm off down the tunnel and he's going to uh, take the blah, blah, blah out of Pep Guardiola, then he deserves to be on the bench, just like any other player. And I said, well, do you not think it's about his fitness? And he's, he said, I don't care. He said, if a player is going to storm off down the tunnel without shaking the hand of Pep Guardiola, uh, who's the manager, uh, then uh, I'd expect any manager, not just Pep, to deal with it. And uh, I was quite surprised because I didn't actually look at it like that. I was at the game and I saw what happened and uh, I just thought maybe he'd gone down the tunnel or was told by the physios to go down the tunnel. And then the whole sort of Ferrari came out in the media the next day about storming down the tunnel. And, and I just thought, oh, it's a bit of an overreaction. And uh, I don't think that's the case. But as it transpires, I think I think actually it was. I think, uh, I think he did basically just think... Uh, Right, that's it. I'm really pissed off, and I'm gonna, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm not gonna sit on the suspension. I'm gonna go down the tunnel. And as it transpires, it also came out that he did come out to Bruyner and basically say that I wanted more minutes. Mm-hmm. So clearly, he had a problem with the fact that uh, Pep is trying to manage his time, and I'm sure they've spoken about his, you know, return to the team and how many minutes is expected. So I was a bit surprised. I must admit, I was a bit surprised that Kevin took it that way. Um, because you would expect that him and Guardiola would have discussed it, you know, when he's starting and then when he's coming off and on whatever else. It wasn't like it was, oh my God, you know, you know, we need to suddenly, you've had a knock, you've had a really bad tackle and I want to rest you. I mean, he, he was playing really well and then suddenly he was substituted and, and off he storms down the tunnel. Well, walks down the tunnel. He didn't storm down the tunnel. He just basically walked down there. But, yeah, so it, it does seem that there is something in it. It does seem that uh, Kevin De Bruyne has come out and basically said that he wanted more minutes and he feels like he needed more minutes. But Pep and his team clearly feel that, uh, you know, they're managing him on this scientific sort of level. And uh, his his backroom staff know when he's in the orange, in the red, etc., how many minutes he's... And you know, all players say it. they want to be on the pitch for 90 minutes, 95 minutes. They want every single minute they can get. And sometimes they're the worst, you know, they're their own worst enemy. So uh, I think we've just got to trust that Pep and his team know what they're doing with Kevin. He's had a bad injury on a couple of occasions. And, uh, you know, they're looking out, looking out for him long term. We've got bigger fish to fry in the next three, four months. So uh, I think it was the, I think it was the right decision uh, overall. Yeah, and uh, I think the only other issue is that some people might have expected Aguero to start, but that didn't wash with me. He had had the flu, coming back for the flu, and obviously some guy scores four four goals in the game before. You're not you're not going to really bench him. You're going to at least start yeah. him to see if he can keep that up. And that was a decision that was uh, fully vindicated because uh, 10 minutes in, uh, we had the first goal. Uh, what a pass from Laporte. My goodness. You don't get that out of Virgil van Dijk, do you, eh? Uh, it was, it was, <laughs> we, had, we had to watch it again on the screen because you know what it's like. Uh, when you're at the game, things are happening so fast. And because of where we sit in the upper tier of the uh, Southstand level three, there is so much going on, and because of the, we run a fan channel, uh, we don't we're not there 
as fans per se, just to you know take up the atmosphere and and everything else. We're there to try and watch the game and analyse the game and see what's going on and. Uh, and we're, we're constantly looking at what's going on all over the pitch. And because we have such a wonderful view high up, we can see lots of runs that are going on. But suddenly this ball went out. We looked up and I'm, I don't know whether Ray saw it, but I looked and just thought, oh my God, who's played that? I wasn't sure because I was watching for the runs of Gabby Jesus, for Sterling, etc., etc. I just saw this ball being played through and Sane running onto it. And of course... Everyone then stands up any time the ball is played anywhere near the penalty box and you think, well, we might be in here. Everybody jumps up. And that's what happened. But uh, I saw it again uh, on the monitor after the goal. And I'm just, oh, my God, what a pass. And I got back. I mean, I didn't get home after the Wolves game because we were filming afterwards and uh, I didn't get home until 10 past one in the morning. By the time we finished editing, uploading videos, and I got back home and I watched it again and just thought, my God, what a pass. Um, that's a pass of an Iniesta, a Xavi. Uh, people would absolutely go mental over a pass like that. And that was, that was our centre back. That was, uh, that's Laporte for you. A wonderful player. He is, as Walter always says, Rolls Royce of a player. They're always comparing, uh, you know, Van Dijk and Laporte, but uh, there's no uh, central defenders that I can think of that can pass a ball like that. The first time I saw it, I thought it was David Silva that did it, but um, obviously me not. Me too. Me, yeah, <laughs> me too, because he was he was in that he was in that particular region <laughs> where I was, uh, you know, seconds before looking at the play. Uh, and like I said, sometimes when you're at the game and you're trying to, you know, I I'm not one for following the ball. I'm I'm one for watching it up high mm. and watching the movement. That's why I'm always saying to Ray, God, look look at Gabby's, look at that run, look at Mara's run, look at Sergio's run. Why are we not picking these? Look at where Sterling is now. Look at this. and and Ray's like trying to follow what I'm saying, but we're also trying to watch the game as where the ball is. Uh, as well, but uh, I like watching not just where the play is going on with the ball. I like watching what the runs and uh, and the movement that uh, these players make because I think it makes a massive difference in Pep's team. I, th- I don't think it's always about the player on the ball. I think it's about the movement of everyone else. And on that particular occasion, I actually thought oh, it was, it, that must have been David Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, some, I think it was somebody in front of us went, Laporte, oh my God, what a uh, 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 pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went, Laporte. And I looked up and then it replayed it on the screen. I was like, oh my God. It was just perfect. It was absolutely incredible. It was genius. And uh, like I said, you don't see Van Dijk doing passes like that. Uh, and Laporte plays... 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yard balls cross field um, is a wonderful player. Absolutely. Mm. He might not be as physically strong or even positionally as aware as Virgil van Dijk, but if you gave me the choice of the two, I take the port every single day of the week. Absolutely. And Leroy was onto that like a flash. Uh, crossed over to Gabby Jesus for a nice sweet strike into the goal, and Gabby's form continues. Um, a bit of um, typical City uh, domination of the ball for about the next uh, nine minutes, and then suddenly, game over, mate. Willie Bowley, or is it Billy Wally? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, um, uh, karma strikes for, for Mr. Bowley. Of course, he was the, the you know guilty of the, uh, the offside handball, and uh, he uh, engages with Bernardo Silva, I'll use the diplomatic term, and before we know it, the referee is flashing the red card, 
Uh, um, and of course, this sparks out a, sparks off a huge media storm about uh, double standards. I mean, that was worse than companies one and all the rest of it. Uh, or not as sorry, not as bad as as companies one. What What did you think? How did you see it? How did you react in the moment? Well, hi, we're City fans, and I think any fan out there out there who basically sees a tackle like that, whether they're Watford fans, Palace fans. Liverpool, United, Arsenal, it doesn't make any difference. When you see a challenge like that, you immediately stand up as a fan and go, wreck hard ref, you know, and you're screaming and you're whatever else. Uh, to be fair, when company did it on Salah, me and Ray both together looked at each other and went, red card. Uh, that's, a, that's a red card. Because you know what it's like as a fan. You're so far away. You're not really in close. You only see it for the first time immediately like the referee does. And, uh, yeah, we both immediately, like, you know, 20,000 City fans stood up at the time and then 40,000, 50,000 City fans stood up and it was that screaming red card. Uh, I couldn't... We, it's like any fan. You only see it for that one split second. Uh, it looked bad and it looked like a red card. Um, as I don't know, what do you want me to go into the arguments of company and... And everything else, it's up to you. No, I think that's just a lot of what aboutery, as the as well, the, the new okay, word, okay. the new word is. But um, I think it's just not relevant. I mean, the company argument was for that game. This is a totally different game. There's no need to uh, get into that. But um, it was quite interesting what happened after that. I mean, uh, we will will move to a five two five two two system. Started defend, defending very very uh, or trying to defend very aggressively, and uh, it worked for about twenty minutes. And then in goes Sterling into the box like an absolute ferret. He's travelling at such velocity that anyone that got a touch on him, you know, would have taken him down just with the momentum. And of course, it was unlucky that the player was Bennett. Knocked him a little bit with a knee, it seemed uh, to me. And down Sterling went. Sterling doesn't get penalties, but he did it on this occasion. And that was two uh, decisions that normally we don't get going for us. And Gabby Jesus, uh, sorry, Gab- Gabriel Jesus uh, just... Uh, beautifully, nice little stutter step and sent the keeper the wrong way. Absolutely beautiful. We'll take that. That seemed to, like, kill the game, didn't it? Well, I think it was... Uh, I don't think there's any doubt it was a penalty. I know you go on social media and you hear all the dippers and they're coming out with, you know, oh, it was uh, another dive. and it, No, it was a clear penalty. I mean, you, you only had to look at their Wolves player. Didn't really. He just sort of shrugged his shoulders and that was it. He knew it was, he clipped him and it's like anything. It's, you know, this day and age, and, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those that, I'm, I'm old school and I, and I think, you know, it, you don't have to get a touch to go down and all this, you know, people say, you know, you, you'll hear strikers on social media and TV programs and radio stations say, well, if he touched him, then he's entitled to go down. I don't believe that's right. Uh, that's on my own personal opinion on things, but, uh, that's the way the game's gone, and uh, we've had plenty of games to us. And you've only had to see four or five penalties this season for Mo Salah. Uh, slight touch on the shoulder, falls down in, in such a dramatic, you know, way like flying butterfly, and he's, yeah. he's doing this, that, and the other. And people say, "Well, he did, you know, touched his shoulder," and I think it's garbage. I think it's absolute nonsense. But uh, you know, that's the way the game has gone. So. You know, people can't complain one way or the other. I think it's it's just the way it is. And uh, 
But it, 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 I understand it's different when somebody touches your, I don't know, your shoulder and suddenly you're flying all over the place to somebody when you're running at speed clips your knee or your mm. ankle. That can force you to go down, uh, uh, you know, naturally. So it was a definite penalty uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, Wolves didn't complain about it too much. So they clearly knew that it was. Yeah, it's very, uh, I think uh, the, the Sterling penalty, though, was quite a lot different from what one person on Twitter has described the penalties that have been given to Salah recently. He's, he's described them as chaplain-esque pratfalls where <laughs> someone touches him and he bends backwards, you know. He bends well, backwards it, dramatically, you know. And, I, think uh, it's, I think it's that exaggeration. I yeah. think that's the thing that annoys me. I'm, I'm not saying this as a City fan. I'm, I'm saying this as a fan of football. Um, and, you know, we got the whole uh, retorts back from the Liverpool fans of, remember when Sterling stubbed his toe in the floor and he fell over and it was like, oh my God, that's embarrassing. Well, Sterling never appealed for the penalty. He literally stubbed his toe in the floor and fell over. Uh, he never got up and waved his arms around and said that that was a penalty. But they used that as sort of like some stick to beat City fans and Raheem Sterling with. But, um, it's this touching of the shoulder and suddenly your feet come three feet off the floor and go in front of you in some abnormal position that even if me and you tried to replicate it, we wouldn't be able to do it. But these, well, certainly Mo Salah, seems to be an expert at doing it. And uh, it's that type of thing that I think most fans, yes, the rules are if you touch your shoulder and you do this and there's, you know you have a right to go down. But I mean, come on, it's a man's sport and let's get back to... If it's a foul, it's a, a proper foul. And if it makes you fall down, I think the added was it. You know, I've heard it on a certain radio station that Man City fans are now banning in their droves. So I want to get that out there. Uh, that if Mo Salah was holding a baby, would he fall down? <laughs> Absolutely. No, and all I, can, so, all I can say is that he's lucky, very lucky that he's in this modern era because not, it's not just the, um, the, the drama techniques that he uses. But it's just the regularity. He's done it five or six well, times. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll tell you something, Mike. Um, can you imagine the likes of Tony Adams? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say. Can you, can you imagine the likes of Mike Doyle? Can you imagine <laughs> the likes of these players if they were in this day and age now, if we could take them for one game and the likes of Mo Salah went down because somebody touched his shoulder? Can you imagine what would happen next? I know. Could you imagine? They put, him into, they put him into the top tier and say, that's a proper tackle, mate, if you want to go down. So it is getting a little bit embarrassing. And I think, forget about all these, you know, VAR talking about this, that, and the other. VAR, VAR will pick up on these things, but it's uh, it's a little too late because I think Mo Salah has, how many, how many, I can't remember how many penalties, he's got something like five, six, seven penalties already this season, you know, and I think four or five of them are ridiculous penalties so we'll see we'll see where Liverpool and the likes of these players not just Mo Salah but other teams players who dive around we'll see see where it happens and where they go next season when VAR comes in because what he should be doing for me personally if that's as you know obvious a dive as Mo Salah has done this season give him a straight red card or give him a 10 minutes in bin which has been discussed by plenty of ex-referees yeah, okay. Well, we'll leave the, the little discussion on that there. I can almost hear Walter in my ear saying that's enough talk about Liverpool and Liverpool players, guys. So, <laughs> we went in We went in half-time 2-0, uh, 
and of of course uh, with now with uh, with with a man down wolves and uh, city chomping at the bit um a lot of us were expecting expecting you know the deluge you know and they're possibly thinking oh well not going to get seven or nine but you know, we're going to make them suffer but in fact um it took 33 minutes before we got the next one and uh, how do you what what exactly happened from your perspective um for those for that half an hour after the um the whistle for the second half i mean we just um we didn't we did we didn't get the um the sort of the third fourth fifth sixth goals that we were expecting was that purely because of um uh nuno espiritu santo and i'm crossing myself while i say his name you know you have to genuflect <laughs> when you say his name but um uh, is that just because of the de- defensive uh, system he put in place determined not to be humiliated no, I don't think it was. Oh, um, just, was it us just faffing around instead of yeah, being more I direct? Think, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think, basically we just dicked about with the ball. Um, it was, it was awful the second half, if I'm honest. Uh, it, it sort of tr- transferred itself to the fans. The fans were getting a bit frustrated, getting very quiet. All we could hear, the Wolves fans were absolutely amazing. They kept singing, and it was very difficult. And I think sometimes we have that at City, whereby with you know, with two nil, suddenly, all right, we're going to move on to the third goal. Um, but prior to the third goal, it was just I think because we're in four competitions, because we've had so many games and we're constantly swapping the team round nonstop, which I agree is the right thing to do. Um, it, it, it just I don't know. I, it looked to us, or looked to me in, in particular, that players were thinking got plenty of games ahead uh, I'm not going to get injured and you know we'll keep the ball and we'll we'll do this and we'll make it easy I mean because Wolves were honestly absolutely offering nothing uh, absolutely nothing and I think if Wolves would have been potentially on the attack having chances like other teams have done in the past when we've been 2-0 up the, you know teams have come at us and really had a go and Edison's had to make some saves or there's been some saves that or you know shots that have gone just wide or hit post then I think we may have just upped our game but they offered absolutely nothing and I think that sort of transferred itself into the players thinking there's no threat here there's absolutely nothing and it was very lethargic it was just passing the ball around even moving forward getting to the final third got to the final third well and then there was like very little movement in the second half yeah it was it was disappointing on the back of, uh, I don't know, what was it, 17, 16 goals we'd scored um, in the previous two games. And yeah, I thought, considering that we, we've won the, the league on goal difference and, and blah, 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 it's, uh, yeah, it was a bit disappointing. But, I, I, you know, I'm not going to blame the players. We've, we've got a lot of games coming up. We've had a lot of games in a short space of time and we've got bigger fish, basically, to fry. Well, it, it, you did mention that beautiful name there, Ederson. Eddie, oh my goodness, what the hell was that? You got this guy jumping, like, I, I, the first part was normal, you know, Ederson running, steaming out to take the yeah. ball off the defender, but then um, basically knocking the ball around in midfield with uh, Gundogan and, and, and Silva, and they wouldn't let him get back, they were like passing it back to him, he's... You know, he passes it to them. They pass it back to them. He's looking for a chance to get back. They pass it to him again. And I thought, my goodness, if this goes on any longer, you know, I think there's going to be there's going to be a riot uh, going on here. But he's just beautiful, isn't he? 
Right, it was just it was <laughs> it was the only thing it was the only thing that got us up out of our seats. It was the only thing that uh, sort of made us cheer and shout and, and whatever apart from the goal uh, in the second half because uh, you just saw him running out and thinking now oh, he's going to clear this into the stands and next minute you think oh hey oh this is uh, this is a little bit tighter and suddenly there's this collision between the two players and he beats the, he gets the ball back and you're thinking right, one of the players are going to sort of play it out wide or. They're going to do the next minute. There's this sort of like triangular football going on between two, three players, and you're thinking, Edison, you're like you're right near the halfway line. What are you doing, kid? Uh, but everyone was so excited, and you know, obviously, if anything happened and it was in, you know intercepted and it was a goal, everyone would be going mental. But that's Edison for you. He's just an absolute legend, um, and uh, yeah, he's our legend, and uh, we love him. We love him for it because. Somebody, uh, I, the next day, somebody was on Twitter going on about it, and I said about David De Gea, and I said, "Would you ever see David De Gea out of thirty-five yards out of his box playing triangular football?" Um, no, and uh, that that's that's just Edison for you. Um, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and we'll we'll take his faults with um, with his genius, and, and there'll be occasions where. He'll do something like that in the future and uh, we'll end up with, like, you know, I hate to bring him up again, but the Salah goal uh, last season. Uh, and that will happen. Uh, and Pep, I think, I don't know, I think he bollocked him in public um, and sort of said, you know, he wasn't too happy. But I think behind closed doors, I think he probably clipped him around the ear and said, well done, kid. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's what we're after. Uh, because... Uh, yeah, he's just uh, he's, he's individualistic and he's a genius, and uh, we love him as City fans. Now, personally, I thought that was a microcosm of, of what we're getting here as City fans because you are going to concede goals. We play a high defensive line, as Raphael Honigstein pointed out. For all for all the brilliance that we get to enjoy, there's a price to pay. Come up against the wrong team on the wrong day; they're going to get in behind you and they're going to score. And um, the second point that I want to mention is the reason I enjoyed that so much is it's been really clear to me in the last couple of games that Alisson has been doing something, Liverpool's Alisson, sorry Walter, uh, Liverpool's Alisson has been determined, <laughs> he's been determined to show people, he's been knocking it around with his defenders, something that he's not known for, it's almost as if he's determined to show people, I can do exactly what he does, and then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, after I saw that, well you won't be doing that mate, you, you certainly yeah. don't have the ability to do that, so that was wonderful, but Amid all of this, uh, just on that point, I think, yep. I think Allison. I think I do honestly believe. I think Allison is a good keeper, mm. um, but uh, I think he's been a good keeper because they've had a good defence uh, this oh, yeah. season. I must admit, I think I think they're they're four at the back. Um, whether it be rotational with Gomez or Trent Alexander Arnold or whoever, uh, I think they've done really really well Liverpool defensively, and I think that's made Allison look a better keeper, but. Um, I, 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 I watch Liverpool games, obviously, because I do, because of the channel. Um, I don't get him. I really don't get him. If he can pass anywhere, if he, if he, if, if a Liverpool fan can honestly come on and compare Allison's passing or anything, crossing, shooting, punting up the field, whatever, compare that to Edison's, uh, they're in the delusion, uh, because, uh, he might, he might be on a par with Edison from a shot stopping point of view. He's got nothing on Edison's feet. Absolutely nothing. Edison is like he's in some dream state. He's, he's so calm, very relaxed, and I think that's what makes him so good. 
is that he's so relaxed and he he doesn't panic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have to. Well, amidst this long period of uh, dominant possession but unpenetrative play, there was one uh, other bright uh, point, and that was when Kevin De Bruyne came on on the 62nd minute because following his arrival, things got more interesting and he started to <coughs> fizz balls into the area into what I call the corridor of uncertainty and what Walter calls the tunnel of chaos and just ha- you know hammering the ball accurately into the um into the just that area in front of the goalkeeper where anything can happen and of course on the 70th minute 78th minute that caused dividends because a whipped cross in there uh, basically bounced off a couple of heads and, and straight into the goal at first i thought it was bernardo silva who'd got a head on it but in fact it turned out to be in the end connor cody and uh I was ex Liverpool, and of course on on social hey. media, uh, there were lots of tweets like Agent Cody and a lot of fantasy scenarios about how he would score the winning goal in the in the ninetieth minute, and of course that didn't happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean Kevin De Bruyne was very very impressive when he came on, and he's obviously fit. And what did you think of his um, his cameo? Well, cameo was probably about half an hour, but yeah, he. Um he brought a little bit more energy, uh, which he normally does to the game. Uh, you know, there's no doubt. As soon as he comes on the field, things happen, uh, regardless whether that's ten minutes, five minutes, thirty minutes, whatever. So, um, yeah, I think City fans were pleased to see him get on the pitch because we'd already been in that lull at that point where it was like nothing's really happening here. Come on, get KDB on. Let's get you know, let's get some momentum back in this game and uh, yeah he did exactly what he did every every opportunity he was looking at playing out wide one twos triangular football and if he got any space he was whipping in those wonderful balls now I'll be honest I I, I thought several of them uh, that he put in I think he put in about eight or nine of them in in, in the game uh, I thought some of them were you know poor uh, or not the best Kevin De Bruyne crosses uh, but I'd rather have him, you know, hitting 10 and two of them, you know, are going to be where you said in that corridor of chaos or one of them's going to create something like the, the goal that, that occurred where he cut inside on his right foot, hitting that, whipped in that wonderful pass. Because uh, it does, it puts so much doubt into defenders' minds and they don't know whether to leave it, block it, head it out, head it to the side of the head. You know, it's just, they don't know because we have so many runners running in behind and in between their, their defenders. They have no idea what, what's going to happen next. So they have to throw something on it. And I think, if I remember rightly, I think two of the Wolves defenders went for exactly the same ball at exactly the same moment. And it came off Cody's head, you know, skimmed into the corner and, uh, yeah, that's what Kevin De Bruyne does. I, I still don't think he's anywhere near back to uh, where he was last season. And I think it's going to take probably another couple of games. And like I said, I think uh, the decision uh, previously with you know Kevin De Bruyne being brought off and rested, I think it's the right thing to do. And I think he's obviously frustrated because he, he knows... The importance of the challenge ahead for Man City, you know, with Liverpool leading by four points and he wants as much game time and impact the game. But I think, you know, City will manage him in the right way. Uh, but he, he, 
Well, the good thing is he, he comes on and he looks like he absolutely wants it. He wants it right now and he, he wants to do everything possible to uh, impact the game, and uh, which is a great thing, but we've just got to temper that sort of enthusiasm and make sure that he's there for the long term because we've got more important games coming up over the next three months. That made it 3-0 to City and that's how we stayed. We saw out, uh, got the clean sheet. Only, only two other uh, small issues in the game that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first one was uh, how concerned you were when there was a when uh, Gabriel Jesus ran into the post and he was down for a couple of minutes, and we wondered, all of us, you know, which what what had come off worst was it the was it the post or was it Gabriel Jesus' massive cheekbones? Um, I don't, <laughs> He's <laughs> got huge cheekbones. He does, actually, very enviable. He could be a, like my, a GQ my, model. My wife works with Chanel, uh, and, and she says, oh, my God, he's got amazing cheekbones. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure one day she'll uh, she'll ask me to try and grab him so she can put some makeup on him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, that was right below us, obviously, because we're, we're in the South Stand and uh, we're at the top tier. But it happened immediately in front of us. Uh, and uh, yeah, it looked nasty. It looked, uh, at first, we were like, "Oh my god, this doesn't look great." Uh, especially when the Wolves players immediately, I mean, we couldn't hear it, but I don't know whether he yelped or he <laughs> shouted or whatever. But the Wolves fans, sort of like uh, Wolves players, sorry, their arms went up in the air, and it was, uh, "Oh, this doesn't look good." Uh, and next minute. Immediately, the medical staff were on, and then you saw the stretcher coming around the side of them, thinking, oh, "Shit, you know, I hope this isn't a collarbone or, you know, something serious that might knock him out for a few weeks." Uh, but immediately, they sort of like they waved the stretcher away, and uh, he sort of like they, they raised him up, sat him up, and uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, when I watched it back on there, I thought, "Come on, Gabby, wasn't that bad." Jesus, kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, he must have got a knock somewhere. But, uh, yeah, so I think it was at the back of his head. He said he, he, he got a bit of a bang on the post. But, uh, yeah, great to see him get back up because uh, he's been really pivotal. And uh, yeah. it's something that we've really wanted to see because he, he has been out of form. Um, and there's been lots of discussions as to why and the fact that his family wasn't here but are now here. And then when his family came... He suddenly felt more comfortable and his English is getting better, but now his family are going away and we've got the worries that what's going to happen when his, his mother goes back to Brazil. Um, so it's just been brilliant to see uh, Gabby scoring so many goals um, over certainly the last uh, last few games. Uh, he's been incredible. Yeah, it was good to see him after that uh you know that uh, delay of a couple of minutes, I think it was. It's a little bit like Tyson Fury rising up after being knocked out by Deontay Wilder for that boxing match. But yeah, he um, he recovered, uh, and uh, you know, obviously nothing too serious wrong. The only other thing that I noticed was the preponderance of short corners uh, that City were playing. Um, that struck me that uh, we got into. Have we? Have we just given up? Uh, corners now because you know striking corners uh, in the traditional way and you know we've got a little team of midgets up there trying to compete with six foot four inch defenders maybe short corners is the way to go from now on I think we have to mix it up a little bit I mean unless you've got you know we've got Laporte we've got the likes of Otamendi or John Stones in there but you know we're not renowned for corners coming in and headers and going in we've seen a few of them and been way you know 
Otamendi's recently against Rotherham uh, was a brilliant header. But I think we have to mix it up. And, you know, we throw the big guys up there and uh, sometimes we might need to... Uh, we might need to play the short corner, pull defenders out, pull certainly the full-backs or the centre-forwards that are wingers that are coming back on the outside to mark the uh, corner-taker and, uh, and others. Uh, it's a bit different, mix it up, uh, because... I don't think we're particularly brilliant at corners. Um, uh, we haven't got a brilliant record, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the odd one thrown in and then mix it up a little bit. You know, maybe one to the edge of the area onto Kevin De Bruyne's right foot and bang into the top corner or, you know, Skulls-esque if I uh, hate to use the United phrase. But uh, yeah, there's no, no harm in mixing it up whatsoever. I think just... You know, we let's face it, we've seen plenty of crap corners this season. Mm. Um, plenty of players can't, well, only shows you. You look at other teams uh, throughout the Premier League when it comes to corners, you generally get a regular corner taker. It's, it's because because they're good at taking corners. We just, apart from Kevin De Bruyne, um, David Silva's not brilliant at corners. Gundogan's not great at corners. So, uh, Sterling's tried them and he's not great. And I don't think we've got a regular sort of proper. Leroy Sane's not been too bad, uh, but yeah, mix it up. I, I, I'm not one for just swinging it into the box because uh, that's not way the way we play naturally. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, that's how it finished. Manchester City three Wolves nil, and this game marked. Uh, David Silva's 267th Premier League appearance. He's now overtaken Joe Hart for uh, the position of City's all-time leading appearance maker in the Premier League. But of course, he's nowhere near the uh, all-time person who's uh, played the the most for Man City. That's Alan Oakes, who played for us from 1959 to 1976. Care to take a guess, Andy, at how many appearances Alan Oakes made? Oh my God, you put me on the spot now. Um... I would say, I would say about three hundred. No, higher, 400. higher, higher. So I was going to sorry, sorry, four hundred and ninety. Higher, five hundred and twenty. Higher, five hundred and fifty. Higher, slightly. Oh, five, five fifty-five. Oh, we nearly got you there. Five, five hundred and sixty-four. And wow. uh, unless you're, huh. unless you're, I thought it was late, late. Four nineties <laughs> or something, but five hundred was it really that many? Five sixty four between nineteen fifty nine wow. and nineteen seventy six. But we can't blame That's you for amazing. not getting that. It's the kind That's of amazing kind of statistic that only Gary James knows. But um, <laughs> a, a, a couple of uh, other interesting points uh, that I think are slightly significant. Now, Wolves failed to land a single shot on target in the Premier League for the first time since May twenty twelve against Everton. And another thing that I think was very, very interesting was this. City have not been defeated by a promoted side in 35 attempts, going back to February 2007. And uh, if these factoids are wearing you out, let me finish with one more. Wolves have not won against City, either at Main Road or the Etihad, since December 1979. My goodness, even I was a youngster then. Okay, so... Finishing off the pod, we're just going to have to mention the upcoming games. We've got Huddersfield away, Sunday at uh, half past one, if I'm not mistaken. Then the dead rubber against Burton. Um, I don't really think... Oh, just I suppose we could just chat a little bit, or very, very briefly, about what kind of team he's going to put out against... Um, uh, let's say, let, let's talk about Burton, the, the dead rubber. Are we going to get... Um, Basically, everybody who knew, n- doesn't normally feature, do you think? 
No, uh, there's <coughs> no. obviously been the problem with the uh, the Checker Trade uh, Trophy. Uh, City have obviously uh, put in a request for that to be moved uh, day be or was day before, um, and uh, I've asked for that to be moved. They offered three different dates, um, and uh, Sunderland. Uh, who were the opponents in the Checker Trade uh, Trophy, basically came back and said, uh, we, we can't really fit that in because we have this, we have that. City went back to uh, the English Football League, the EFL, who look after the Carabao Cup and also look after the Checker Trade uh, Trophy and said, look, you know, we've uh, we basically fielded very, very strong teams in the Carabao Cup uh, for your competition. We're now fielded you know, an under-21 team basically for this and show us a bit of leniency and, and move the date because the idea clearly was by Pep. He was going to put the uh, most of the EDS team into the Burton game uh, with maybe one or two, the likes of maybe Yamares or maybe maybe the likes of Vinny Company and uh, Danilo or Delph or whoever's fit. So it was going to be mainly the the uh, EDS squad, but uh, because those players are going to play uh, in the day before or the day after, I can't remember the day, uh, after the uh, Burton game, that's blown all those plans out of the water. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure what is going to happen. Club Pep clearly does not want to play any of the major stars, if he possibly can. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, basically the EFL have come back and said, uh, no, they're not happy to move it. They're not going to uh, do anything and support City in this, even though we've put, like I said, strong teams out in the Carabao Cup. You know, we've entered a team into the Checker Trade Trophy, which has drawn lots and lots of crowd um, to to that competition. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I think it'll be a mixture of the two, I'm afraid. I think uh, what we'll see is we'll see uh, against uh, the Czech and Trade tro- Trophy will have more of the under-16s, mm-hmm. under-18s in the team, mixed with the un- some of the under-21s, and half of the under-21s will play with some of the players who don't regularly play for City out the first-team squad. So I think I think we will see... A couple of big name stars uh, at Burton away, and that's not always a bad thing because let's face it, you know, uh, it's not just always about City; it's about the other small teams and and then you know because if you're a Burton fan going to Burton, you want to see City, you want to see City players. They had a great great day out at the uh, the Etihad, even though they got battered. Um, they still had a great day and said it was just amazing speaking to fans. Uh, they, they said it, we had an amazing time uh, watching world-class players that we'll never, ever see again. So I don't think it's always a bad thing. I think it's just a shame it's messed up a bit of uh, Pep's planning uh, because of uh, the uh, the EFL will not budge on it. So um, who knows? We'll see. I think it'll be a mixture of two. Yeah, either side of that Burton uh, dead rubber, I guess we could call it, we have... Uh some people would say almost another dead rubber. We've got the game um, away against Huddersfield. Of course, Huddersfield, bottom of the league, lost 15 times, can't score, can't keep a goal out. And then after that, um, we have the FA Cup um, fourth round against Burnley. Burnley, not much better. And then finish off uh, January with um, an away game at Newcastle. You know, not a bad little sequence of fixtures to finish out uh, January. So um, I think it's... Um, uh, a good opportunity to get our goal scorers, you know, into some kind of form. Mm-hmm. 
And um, yeah, well, yep. well, I, I think I said it. I posted something on Twitter the other day, and I said, uh, "Who's going to be the top goal scorer for City this season? Is it going to be Gabi Jesus or is it going to be Sergio Aguero?" Because if we look at the fact that we're in four competitions, um, and some, you know, two of those competitions potentially, Gabi Jesus is going to be the one who's going to be the centre forward, and uh, you know, Sergio will probably, probably, if if he remains fit. And healthy, it'll be the Premier League starter and the Champions League starter. But Gabby's going to go in the FA Cup. He's going to go in the um, uh, uh, Carabao Cup, League Cup, whatever you want to call it. Um, and at the moment, I think Gabby's got 14 in all competitions. Sergio's got 12. So um, it's going to be a bit of a battle. And uh, don't don't rule out Gabby this season. And, you know, as much as I love Sergio... Don't rule out Gabby as being the top scorer of City uh, because he's going to get plenty of games. Uh, but yes, there is a chance for Sergio, certainly, if if Pep decides that he wants to risk him, not risk him, but actually introduce him into the games like Huddersfield and Burnley, etc. Or does he want to wait till February and unleash you know the beast uh, when it comes to the uh, the big games in the Champions League? So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I absolutely agree about Gabriel Jesus, and as you know, guys, if he doesn't put them in with his feet, he'll strike them in off either of those big cheekbones. Now, guys, that's been <laughs> nineteen goals in three games in eight days, and uh, for those of you who remember the bad old days under Psycho. That's probably that's that's more than the total of all home games that particular season. I think his uh, second season and almost as many goals as we managed in in the whole season uh, under him. Dreadful. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> it dreadful. It was absolutely dreadful. But uh, guys, I think that's your rules review, and I think what we should do is finish off with a couple of choice comments that I read on the media that I think are very very amusing. Let me just read them out to you. The first one was a comment by a guy um, on Twitter who said. Ederson knocking the ball around was like when my son gets bored thrashing me in FIFA and starts dribbling the ball up the field with his keeper. And um, <laughs> another, uh, the, the, the last one I've just got to mention is uh, one of my followers who says, this is City showing the Scousers how to defend with 10 men and not lose 5-0. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember FIFA. My kids, well, my kids are 19 and 21. So uh, yeah, they still play. I think they still play. I mean, it's one of those, you know, when they're at that age, they sort of drift in and out of the house and you never know where they are or what they're doing or. But yeah, um, I remember FIFA, I don't know what it is, FIFA 2000 and probably nine or eight or something like that. Some kids will be going, what? What even born then? Um, yeah, but you'll remember, of course, in re- in reference to that last line, you know, Liverpool lost uh, Mane when he stuck his studs in Ederson's face, and they were all saying, oh, yeah, you've got to put an asterisk against that 5-0 because we lost. Well, here was Wolves, you know, they also lost a man, but uh, they didn't lose 5-0. And you don't have to lose 5-0 just because you lose a man, do you? No, I mean, come on, Mike. <laughs> you read you read enough Dipper Liverpool fans sort of, oh, shouldn't say Dipper, apparently that's, uh, well, well, have we not been chastised for, for using the I word Dipper? I think Talksport, we're all about that. Yeah. Every other club uses, um, oh. and even Liverpool fans sort of take it to, you know, they'll take it to heart, they sort of like laugh back and whatever else, but, um, yeah, it's just nonsense by Liverpool fans, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, they've become number one targets now by not just Man City fans, but by every club. Even you know, it's it's a funny period in social media, and this this season has become like a really weird season uh, uh, from social media point of view because 
you know, beforehand, last season, even the season before, it was uh, us, or it was United, or it was Liverpool, or it was the rest. We don't care about the rest, really. Chelsea, Spurs, they're all Londoners, Southerners, and don't know much about much. But uh, it was always independent. And But this season has just really changed. It's really, it's actually quite amusing because what seems to happen is we've got this guy I want to give a shout out to. Please, am I okay to give him a shout Absolutely. out? Absolutely. Okay, guy called uh, at Pundit J. Uh, is he a United fan? Uh, I did a, uh, prior to the City United game, I did a, a bit of a preview video with him. Uh, a guy from Moss Side, uh, brilliant guy, absolutely brilliant. And uh, if anyone talks any sense about football, it's this kid. I mean, he's he's only, he's only about 23, 24, I'm guessing. Um, but he posts some, and he's a Man United fan. He, he, he does like a lot of podcasts like you, but for United and he, we tried to. We got him to come on and encourage him to come on the channel. Um, but this kid talks absolute sense, and he constantly posts all the time. Not only United stuff, but City stuff, saying about Pep Guardiola and his tactics and everything. And he, you know, I look at him and I think, you know, how is it over twelve months suddenly gone from you know three independent football team supporter clubs, you know, us Liverpool United, to the whole country. Hating Liverpool, uh, and it's just—it's unbelievable because I've never witnessed or read such garbage uh, from Liverpool fans. And, and it's—it's—and um, I said to Ray the other day, and I said on the video, it wasn't just—I mean, I've got friends and I've got people who are Liverpool fans, and I've got contacts on Twitter who are working in the industry, they work in football, they do professional. Uh, analysis on fitness things for Liverpool and other clubs, etc. And yeah, even they talk absolute shite, you know. And it's like, oh my god, what is going on with Liverpool? So it's a weird season. And uh, if they were to win it, oh no, 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 don't even mention it. Oh, it would be, you know, it'd be incredible. Uh, it'd just be. I'm coming off Twitter for the next year, and uh, yeah, I'm not going there. But, yeah, uh, they're they're not really. Helped. They're not going to. They're, they're not going to do it. No, they're uh, they're, they're not really helped. Have... They're not really helped by the Anfield rap and the long grass. No, and, no, uh, no, no, no. And that, that that classic quote, think... that classic quote they came out with uh, in the City game, um, where they said, um, uh, "If it hadn't been for video technology, that would have been a goal." <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, it just shows. How, I mean, we were we were twenty yards away from the away fans, and uh, mm. I've never I've never witnessed a a, a team. That was so silent, uh, and we've seen all teams. We've seen Palace, we've seen Huddersfield, we've seen Rotherham, we've seen Burton, we've seen everything, and they were embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. So it's a massive myth, this whole Liverpool thing. It I mean, is, and that it is, is what it. Liverpool is built on a myth. Uh, so uh, no, I think we've been there, we've done it, and Mike, we're going to win the, the league this year, and I don't think we've got anything to worry about. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great note to finish on. So. Um, We'll just stop there, and um, I want to finish off, first of all, by uh, expressing gratitude uh, to my guest today. Our guest was from Man City Fan TV, Andy. Andy, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure. It's been a while, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm always glad to speak to you, Mike. Regardless of the time, it's like... 20 past 1 in the morning right and you're off to bed I'm off to work and guys we'll be back with you after the next game as usual so until then have one on us and up the blues I love the kicking